Hello, I'm Ryan Cook, and this is Civic Tech Chat, a podcast about the civic technology movement. We seek to harness the power technology has to improve the delivery of public services to people everywhere. Shannon, thank you so much for joining us here on Civic Tech Chat. Could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do? Thanks so much for having me. So I'm Shannon Sarton. I'm the former executive director of digital service at HHS and CMS, former member of the United States Digital Service. Um, And I have spent the last four years showing up in the federal government to help make the services that the various agencies offer work better for the American people. One of the things that we try to start with on Civic Tech Chat is this idea of why. And in this case, uh, personal why. So for Shannon, what would that be for you? You know, what's that thing that drives you to get out of bed each day and do what you do? So my why is definitely rooted pretty deep inside me, probably all the way down to that DNA level. I come from a family with a strong history of public service. My mom was a physician for the Indian Health Service who turned into an informaticist after working in the clinic that actually beta tested the first one of the first EMRs that we had um, in healthcare in this country. And I was part of this family that just shared this consistent commitment to showing up for under, underserved populations, for being part of policymaking, working for federal agencies. We were definitely taught from an early age that you should try to work hard to leave the world a better place than when you showed up. And so that's a, that's a big part of my initial driving why. And I think how that's continued for me later in life is I have a wonderful, amazing daughter who's 12. And I think a lot about the importance of being a part of that same process to set an example for her, but also really wanting our, our government to work for her when she is you know, coming into an age where she's going to be critically dependent on, on government services in some way, shape, or form, whether that's just through submitting taxes to the IRS or eventually also being on Medicare. So uh, that's a little bit about my why. I, I appreciate you sharing that why. As you're no doubt aware that we're only a little bit removed here from the holiday season. And as we're kind of like talking about this, the subject of what you do, I, I imagine that you have to, you know, you have small talk with folks and they'll ask you that, that very question. I'd be curious, like, how do you tend to describe your practice to folks that are asking you that in like a social situation? Yeah, this is such a hard question sometimes because the people that ask you what you do run a pretty broad range, right? Of people who understand how government and policymaking at the federal level works all the way into people who are so disconnected that they don't totally realize what's happening at these federal agencies or the way that that's impacting them as individuals. And so I typically start out at a really high level of just talking about the importance of having technical talent in government to help make decisions. So a little bit of bringing, I tend to bring up healthcare.gov. It's a great starting point that typically people remember and recognize. You know, when you talk about the critical failure of a service that people saw firsthand, they tend to immediately connect into why having technical talent inside government is important. They tend to connect into how that may impact them. And they also then connect into that story of there being uh, a team that showed up to help make that service, help stand that service back up and make it better again. And so um, I typically talk about the work that I'm doing in terms of 
general general services to the federal government and then also tend to bleed a little bit down into healthcare and the specific projects that we're working on with healthcare, talking about things like running a team at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid who's helping to ensure that every individual can get access to their health record and their critical data that they need to make decisions. And also talking about projects like rebuilding infrastructure for payment processing at a place like Medicare that processes $500 billion in payments a year. And can you tell us a little bit about the path you've taken here that's now led uh, to where you are now? Yeah, so I touched a little on kind of those really, really early days of my past, which I would definitely consider to be part of what pushed me in this trajectory, right, of having a mom who worked for a federal agency in um, public service. And so initially, I actually started out my career in government at the Indian Health Service. I was brought in in uh, 2009-2010 to work on thinking through how we can contract better for technical services. And so um, I was lucky enough that at the time I was living in Seattle, I had been working for Bungie on the video game Halo, so I knew a little bit about software development, kind of migrated into this space in the government, learning how to just pull together these massive contracting vehicles, or actually at that time it was pull apart, pull apart these big contracting vehicles and rethink the way that we contract out for services. And so I started to do that for the Indian Health Service and ended up leaving when my, I kind of hit like, I hit a ceiling. I think that a lot of ambitious young people in the federal government, maybe definitely at that time, maybe still now, um, would just kind of hit a place where they felt like they were plateauing in their career. We don't really tend to embrace ambitious individuals. And so I hit that I hit that ceiling and ended up leaving to go work for a small startup in Tucson, Arizona, which is where I'm from, who had raised some money and was interested in, in bringing their product into the federal government. And my theory at the time was I can figure out how to be a great buyer on the government side, but if there aren't great contracting companies to actually award the contracts to, then I've only solved one half of the problem. And so um, I ended up doing that and finding this amazing niche and helping companies think through product development, think through building out sales and marketing into the government. And um, I spent some time in that space before applying to the U.S. Digital Service one on a whim day <laughs> uh, where I ended up on the U.S. Digital Service website when it was still just part of, I think it was like whitehouse.gov slash USDS at the time and ended up applying and it's kind of all magic after that. One of the things you mentioned there in that story was the, this, this feeling you said you had of hitting a plateau. And I imagine that's a thing that perhaps folks like listeners out there may relate to as well. Uh, could you tell us like a little bit more about what, what that experience was like and, and how that like drove you to then want to make a change? Totally. So for me, when I hit that plateau, there were a couple different things happening. The, the first and probably most important one was that I had been on a team of myself and two other individuals. And as those two other people who were both brilliant and amazing humans left to go and pursue other opportunities as people do, their positions weren't backfilled. And so I was a number of pay grades beneath them. And here I inherited all of their work as they left. So I went from being uh, an entry level individual on a team with mentorship and support and people doing carrying a large portion of the work alongside with me to just carrying all of the work. 
and there was no financial reward for it. There was really not even an acknowledgement by other people that I was now taking on all of this additional work. And I am the kind of human who just shows up and just does the work. And I just kept showing up and I kept doing it. And I anticipated that at some point in time, somebody would recognize it and they would make sure to figure out that I had some sort of forward trajectory in my career. Um, but it ended up kind of being the opposite. I, the person that I'd worked for at the time ended up retiring and his replacement was somebody who came in and really just tried to shut me down in a way that thankfully it's the last time I've ever experienced like that. But, um, took away some of my promotion opportunities and other things because they were not impressed with that, uh, th what we had been brought in to do, which was to think about contracting in a very different non-traditional way. And so I really struggled with that. And um, I'm not going to lie, when I decided to leave, I actually didn't have another opportunity lined up, but I knew that I could not sit and struggle under those circumstances. And so I left and I love to think that in many, many ways, my story and my leaving, and thankfully I ended up back in the federal government, but I am kind of the example in a lot of ways of what not to do when you've got smart, ambitious people that want to show up to serve the federal agencies. So it's definitely, it drives me a lot to think about ways that I can support and uh, ensure that people around me are getting the attention and acknowledgement that they need. I spend a lot of time outside of the digital service role doing that with people in agencies because I think it's really important. It's, it, I think what I'm hearing from you is that, like, I mean, it sounds like that's a rather impactful experience you've had, like something that would kind of stick with you. Is that something then that you're now carrying as you make choices about in, in like in this realm as well? Absolutely. Definitely. For me, it's having had that experience when I meet individuals who are bright and who want to make a difference and maybe they're a voice in a room who's behind you know who's sitting in the back bench of a meeting and they quip up with one one little comment I pay I pay so much attention to that and I have had this tendency to kind of reach down and grab people out of different offices and ask them to come work on projects because I know what it's like to be stuck in a federal agency and I know how hard it is to move forward and I um, I am only one person, so that is what I can do. I hope to, you know, eventually work to make some broader systemic change when it comes to the way that we hire and retain and recruit people, especially in management. Um, but def it definitely has had a, a heavy impact on the way that I think about being a leader and the way that I think about supporting other people around me. In the realm of change and kind of like being a change maker, that's something I gather is a, th is a thing you've been in the healthcare space as well uh, in your role. And I imagine that's a thing that requires being rather skillful at managing relationships, whether it's like within or without uh, government. Could you speak a bit to the role that like that relationship building plays in your in your daily activities? Yeah, so I am pretty fortunate that my ability to, I don't want to say the word network, so that's not quite right, but definitely like build relationships, maintain relationships, understand the importance of talking to people has just something that's come to me a little bit innately. Uh, maybe it's from my very, very social dad. <laughs> um, but that's something that I've just kind of always been able to do and have. And for me, it's been really important in both getting things done in government and understanding how to have an impact when you're in government trying to work on healthcare, because the decisions that are made around healthcare within the federal government tend to not actually have quite enough external voice in them. 
we tend to not always listen to people who are in the outside world. This is a problem that we have in policymaking generally across government. So I'm not going to say this is just a healthcare problem. It's just, that's just the space that I know. But it definitely having those relationships, understanding who's working on what, keeping up with who's building what cool new tool, who's thinking about how to do healthcare differently, who's seeing cool new results, and just consistently meeting with people, talking with them, engaging them, making sure that they feel heard, making sure that they feel like there's an open door. It's such a huge part of us being able to make change in government and definitely in healthcare. I think one thing I, I, I heard you talk about there was uh, this sort of like finding of a landscape as far as like, like who is responsible for what is interested in the thing. Uh, are there any techniques you tend to employ in order to try to, to get at that sort of information as you like first go into an initiative? So for me, I spend a lot of time initially just listening, whether that be I walk into a small meeting or a big meeting. I pay attention to who seems to be the leading voice in the room, what other information I know from outside that room that I can connect in to try to kind of piece together where all those moving parts are. It definitely is a lot of just constantly absorbing information, whether it be something that I read on Twitter three days ago that I'm now hearing about in a meeting or something that um, I, I heard about in a meeting and now I'm seeing it echoed in like five or six different places. But it, it really definitely is about being able to identify from a people perspective who seems to be connected or a leading voice and then being able to also identify those trends coming from various places with different information. In that work, uh, I imagine that there are times where you end up needing to guide folks into things that might take them outside their comfort zone, whether it's a career service person in an agency, they're being exposed to, to some new thing, or on you know a group of technologists that are entering an unfamiliar domain. Are there any uh, strategies that you know you, are your, like your go-tos when you're trying to lead in that kind of circumstance? There are so many. the The number one for me is actually about empathy and personal experience. So. One thing that I have learned consistently is that in in the realm of the changes that we're trying to make, say at CMS or at other federal agencies, the one thing that can always change somebody's mind or bring them around is to tell them a story of individual impact. And sometimes it's not just storytelling, but it's actually taking people out to see. So for instance, doing site visits at clinics, for instance, spending time talking to patients or providers creating that connection that's bigger than just words on a paper, but is actually another individual that we are able to say, I like, I see you, I empathize with you. I'm going to turn around and try to make a change in the way that I've been making decisions. And so that to me, which is really about us incorporating and bringing in human and user-centered design into all the conversations in government from policy to actual technology building those pieces are so hugely important. And that's definitely something I've seen uh, have, a, have, a, have a really big impact on the way that people make decisions. And data is the other one, right? Um, there's a lot of times where you can show up with just irrefutable data on the way that, some, that a decision may impact people, may impact a service. And that is something that's really helpful. That last bit, you mentioned uh, irrefutable data. Uh, is there 
are there any like particular ways you go about presenting in that circumstance? I know uh, at times folks can try to entrench, for example, when, when they're faced with a thing that runs counter to a belief they have. I don't know if there were any strategies y'all use to get around that sort of uh, natural tendency. Yeah, so the answer to that is actually there is not one strategy and there should probably never be one strategy because all of us absorb information and think about things differently. So for, for me, the strategy always comes down to being really aware of who the person that I'm talking to is. What are the things that motivate them? What do they care about? How do they like information being presented to them? One person may love a white paper. Another person may love a PowerPoint. Another person may need a phone call um, from somebody else that is not just me to say, hey, I, I know you guys are thinking about this. Here's, a, here's my opinion. Because there is no one size fits all here. And that really comes down to the fact that we all come with our unique backgrounds and perspectives. And um, it's really important to acknowledge that, not just in ourselves, but in the people around us. And so when, when it comes to trying to present information to people, if you want to make a big argument or if you've got something that you just know you have to get this person on board with it is not about how you want to present it and present any of the information it is all about how they need to hear it i i think what i'm hearing from you is that that portion also ties back to that like root empathy skill you you talked about kind of early on on that answer as a root that uh i believe is is like something one can can train and like learn to be better at uh, is, is that like a practice that, that you find yourself having to be mindful of yourself? And if so, would you have any tips for someone who wants to be, to be better? That's a good question. I, I don't know that I have anything that I consciously think about doing. That said, I do have a few people in my life. Ironically, all of them are designers. So like definitely take note. Designers I, I tend to harbor um, really amazing empathy that I try to harness on a pretty regular basis. And so I tend to get the practice that I need, I think through connecting with people that exhibit skills that I wish that I embodied. So, you know, like I said, I've got, I've got probably a handful of designer friends that I'll have regular conversations with that go a little bit deeper. And I think push me to think differently about how I'm connecting with people. And um, I think that a big portion of it probably comes from there. And since we're, we're on this idea of empathy, I imagine that something that's important in this sort of work is, and, and, and really any sort of work, I suppose, is building uh, an atmosphere where there's trust and psychological safety, uh, both like within a team itself and as well as the relationships it may have uh, with others. Uh, how do you approach trying to create that? And does the tour of service model that you, have to, that you kind of operate with have any impact on, on that approach? For me, the, the first place in establishing trust is just listening. It's not showing up and being the loudest voice or the smartest person in the room. It's actually about showing up, being quiet, hearing what other people have to say, not just to be able to use that information to help you think through what your, your next steps are, but also to really, I think that that's, you know, again, building that empathy. I need to understand maybe a decision that from the outside I didn't agree with when I sit in a room with the five people that made it and they tell me all the additional context and constraints that they were under, all of a sudden I'm going to have a different view on that decision. And so that is definitely the first place that I start every single time. And I think after that, it is about 
making sure that whatever it is that you're walking in to propose or whatever it is that you're walking in to try to work on has alignment with what the, the career federal employees that you're likely engaging with or the career government employees that you're engaging with, that it aligns with their interests as well. I think that this is where the tour of duty service model does sometimes maybe rub this process a little bit longer because it tends to operate in a way that is folks coming in with more experience, a different experience, not necessarily better, but um, something that may sometimes immediately co come off with that sense of, of, of better than when you walk into a room. And so you're kind of fighting against that. And I think it also doesn't always give a lot of time to, to listen. And so the more that we can make time to do that, I definitely think the better off we are. It, it sounds like perhaps like the tone that set during like the onboarding process is probably pretty important. Is, am I hearing that correctly? A hundred percent. If you, this is so interesting because I've been having these conversations lately as, as um, I transition into a new role at CMS. And one of the most important things is to be really, really thoughtful and careful about when you are a new person and you show up in an established environment that is likely resource constrained and comes with its own set of struggles, that that first impression, like it will last forever. I still hear stories from people who, you know, four plus years ago had some bad, some bad run in with the digital service in some agency, like those things, they, they sit heavy with people. And so it is really important. At times I think back on something I built earlier in my career and ponder in horror about whether someone is out there using it today. And I imagine that I'm not alone in that. In fact, I, I think there's a uh, government executive piece that um, mentions like a team you used to run uh, finding some COBOL software that you'd come across and then had to, to do some things with. Uh, I wonder, uh, do you ever wonder if we're ourselves just at a stage of a similar cycle and maybe someone, you know, 10, 20 years down the road is going to be writing something very similar, highlighting some old Python or Go software they happen to find somewhere? Totally. A hundred percent. We are definitely just at the beginning of that cycle all the time. Uh, I am, I am a big, big believer that a huge portion of our work is not necessarily about exactly what we are building, but instead is about how we are building it and how we are thinking about moving into both a, from a government perspective, from a software development perspective, from the way that we're running our projects perspective, that all of that is moving to be a little bit more iterative and agile. Um, I also sometimes wonder though, if like does iterative and agile end up going out the door too, right? Like I feel like I am constantly questioning that. Um, and actually a great story to tell around this is that my first, it must've been like my first year, first like three or four months actually at US Digital Service, I got called in to work on I can't remember, it was like maybe some policy at HHS or it was like something that I was digging through. And I realized that at the bottom of this policy, this signature was actually my mom's. And Whoa. I remember thinking, right, right. How crazy, because at the time, this was when they were first trying to write to figure out how to bring iterative development into their software development life cycle at the time, like that was the most forward leaning thing that they could do. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, maybe it wasn't what the private sector was doing or whatever, but it, 
that for me brought this thing like really full circle into think into realizing and remembering that like this is all cyclical all of it is all the time yeah yeah definitely like uh the phrase coming full circle i i think is almost an understatement in, in that story you told yeah <laughs> <laughs> so so like accepting that we are on like a cycle like that uh, do you have any like words of comfort for someone who might be worried about you know what, what happens toward the, the end point of one of these cycles and the work that's already here the one thing that is true here is that if you are optimizing for your end users and you are making sure that the policies and the delivery of those policies make sense for them, it doesn't matter what you're doing to get there. So long as you can research that, build it in, and then test it, that is the most important part. We have to meet the needs of our end users. And if we are not doing that, then all of it fails. And if we are doing that, then that really is all that matters. Out of curiosity, is there any media that you consume, whether it's a, a podcast, a video series, book, a periodical, or some other thing that you found to be particularly inspirational and formative to your practice? That's a good question. So, yeah, so in terms of media that I consume, I definitely try to spend some of my free time decompressing. So, listening to whatever music I want to, reading trash novels. Um, I recently, my daughter has been challenging me every single week to read a new book. So this week I'm reading The Hate You Give. And Hmm. a couple weeks ago, I read some terrible horror novel that she didn't tell me was a horror novel. Um, So I am actually of the mindset that for as much as I want to be consistently consuming things to improve my practice or my work, that I actually need to figure out how to find balance. And so I am doing that by trying to consume as little as possible related to work when I am not working. When I am during my workday though, I do try to just pay attention to what's happening in um, kind of some of the different federal news outlets. Um, I love knowing what other people are working on. And I actually spend a lot of time getting my information from other people versus um, any specific uh, place that I feel the need to stay connected to. You know, I, I, I like that answer because I, so something you point out there is like that, I, that thing of needing to have some, some balance as a human between the work things and the not work things. And I do think that's really important. Actually, I wonder if I should, uh, I may, I may have to think about, uh, the way I word that question in the future. Cause, uh, uh you might be aware this is like something that is like a reused thing. We, we tend to ask, uh, guests yeah. for like podcasts or video tips Totally not just so I have a th- I have more content for the episode description uh, and have yeah. it like written by the guest for me. Totally not that at all. Nope. But yeah, I, I appreciate <laughs> that answer. That's that's awesome. I'm told that you might have some personal news, and I think you mentioned this a little bit in an answer. There's like a little little sneaky thing about a new role, and and one in an answer. I think a couple questions back. Are you able to preview that at all for us? Like, what's uh, what's this like? What's next for Shannon? here coming up. Totally. So I actually have spent the last eight weeks on kind of a mini personal vacation, trying to figure out what would come next for me. I went and hiked to the Grand Canyon, hung out with my family, spent more time doing those personal things. And I am now coming back to the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid as the Chief Technology Officer at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation. And for people who don't know, that's not just technical innovation. So we're not uh, that typical innovation office in a federal agency. We're actually a center that's focused on figuring out how you 
pay for healthcare differently. And so I'm super excited about this journey. I have been a huge fan of CMMI's work for a long time, and I'm so excited at the opportunity to go over there and work with that entire team and bring um, a little bit more emphasis to technology in the process of thinking through the future of healthcare. That sounds like a really exciting and a, and a, and a big step in, in your journey here. Um, what, what inspired you to want to want to go that direction and, and and take on that responsibility? As I was in the process of stepping down from my digital service role, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do next. And I just kept having this feeling like I wasn't done, like the work is not done and it may never be done when it comes to CMS. I think that it's really important to continue to be a part of decision making, continue to be a part of thinking through and supporting people while they're trying to figure out really hard problems. And so, yeah, for me, it was really just this, you know, I felt like there was still so much work to do. And I am really fortunate that I've spent the last couple of years being able to get some cool stuff done at CMS. And I would love to leverage that experience and that knowledge to helping and working over us at CMMS. Uh, First of all, congratulations on on the opportunity. And uh, I know there's probably a ton of folks out there that are excited to see uh, how that turns out. Awesome. One thing uh, we we tend to do uh, on here on Civic Tech Chat is we uh, offer some space at the end for the guests to monologue a bit, to let us know what sort of things they'd like us to think about as we depart the podcast episode. Uh, so Shannon, uh, what sort of thoughts uh, do you have for us for that? Yeah, so in the period of the conversation, I ragged a little on being both a federal employee and also the, the tour of service model, but I really strongly believe that every single person should, if they have the capacity to show up and be a part of working on our government, this is something that belongs to all of us, that we are all a part of building and making and partially responsible for. And so I would just encourage anybody who's interested or has considered public service in some way, shape, or form. It does not have to be U.S. Digital Service, even though USDS is always hiring. It doesn't have to be at the federal government. It could be in your state and local government, could be in some other service that's partially connected to it. But I would definitely just encourage everybody to spend some portion of their time or their life um, being a part of those institutions, because I think it is really, really important to, to this country, and it is really important to our future. Again, Shannon, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come on and share your insights, your experience, and your knowledge with us here on Civic Tech Chat. Thanks so much for having me. I enjoyed doing this. It was great. You can follow us on Twitter using the handle at Civic Tech Chat. Visit us on the web at civictech.chat or subscribe to us for content updates wherever it is you download your podcasts.